Welcome to The 90s Sucked. A podcast about the 90s and how they sucked. With your hosts, Adam Todd Brown and Chad Wild. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a new Unpops podcast called The 90s Sucked. I'm your host, Adam Todd Brown. Do I have a co-host? Guess my voice. No one will ever guess. Smooth, smooth lisp. No one will ever guess that that is the voice. We're like, we're going to put Good Luck America aside, Chet Wild. That's me. Chet Wild, by the way. Uh, Because we're tired of politics, so let's do The 90s Sucked. I'll pull up these notes here. Oh, two episodes on the Gulf War. (laughs) Good times. You know how I do. Well, it wasn't just that I was tired of politics. I was kind of tired of, well, at at the time I had three politics podcasts on the network, which were Good Luck America, What in the World, and In Broad Daylight. And it just sort of felt repetitive. Are the other two still around? In Broad Daylight is sort of still around, and What in the World will probably be back soon. But I more needed a break from research. I talked about this on the Unpops Every Day episode that came out, I think, last week by the time this goes up. But I was just kind of, I was burnt out, man. I needed to, I didn't want to just shut the network down, but I needed to take a few weeks and not have to research all the tragedy of the world uh, for my everyday existence. But now we're back to doing that. Two things. One, I still think you can pull a page out of Howard Stern's playbook and just run old best of episodes and people will be fine. But two, if you're like, oh man, I want something besides war and politics, there are bonus episodes of this pod. So if you're listening to this as a freebie, cool. We put it out there for free. Well, but if you want to listen to the music of this year and uh well yeah pop culture things there's going to be some bone con be some bone coming con out for the patreon and peeps this isn't going to be a politics podcast it just felt the gulf war kicked off in late 90 early 1991 so it felt like a good place to start for a podcast about the 90s i mean i thought we'd start with damn yankees but sure I mean, we bring up damn Yankees on on the bone con, so don't worry about that. But this isn't going to be a strictly politics podcast. The Gulf War just felt like a good place to start because part of the premise of this podcast, it's not, I'm better than just shitting on the 90s. Like there is... That was our original name. Right. (laughs) And... It's not it's not going to be me. Oh, you like Pokemon. Fuck you, idiot. Like it's not going to be that podcast. What I'm going to try and cover on these episodes are things that when I say the 90s sucked, I mean these are things that are still having a lasting impact today. And even then, not every episode's going to be that. Yeah. But whenever possible, I'm going to try and cover topics on this that are still impacting us today, even if it's in a frivolous pop culture sort of way. But I I want this to be more than just, oh, I hate the 90s, because I don't hate the 90s. I grew up, like, I was an 80s and 90s kid. I was 13 when the fucking Gulf War kicked off. So I, like, I I get it. I get that the 90s were... It ruined your bar mitzvah. It sure did, yeah. And... And I know this. I'm just asking the questions I anticipate the viewers or listeners are asking themselves. Well... So they know what to expect. How about you all chill out? 
Chill the fuck out, everybody. So we're, yeah, we're kicking this podcast off talking about Operation Desert Storm. Not to be confused with Operation Desert Storm, which is whatever happens when I go to a bakery. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) And the Gulf War, not to be confused with the war on golf, because if you golf, you're a fucking asshole. Right? Piece fucking shit. piece of shit. Man. I used to golf a little bit. And you it's, were, a, it's you kind of fun. to be an asshole a little bit. It's, golfing is actually fun. I'm not... What an asshole. You're not going to hear me shitting on that. So that's sort of the introduction to this podcast. It's going to be about things... It, it won't always be this, this serious, is what I'm getting at. But we're kicking off this month talking about the first Gulf War... And what we're going to do each month is, uh, most likely, there's going to be two free episodes about whatever topic we're covering, and we're going to tell you what we're covering next month. Much more lighthearted. Might sound like something you won't be interested in, but you will be. It's very interesting. But uh, we're going to do two free episodes every month, and then if you subscribe on the Patreon, you get some BoneCon! BoneCon! One of the things we're going to do is, for whatever week in history we're covering, we're going to talk about the music and movies and TV shows of that week. So in a couple weeks, there will be a bonus episode of The 90s Sucked, where we talk about Madonna's Justify My Love and the Buffalo Bills losing their first Super Bowl, among other things. And then uh, at the end of all this, I'm going to do a solo episode that just covers kind of the, the lasting legacy that's where Adam records without pants, and I'm not comfortable being in the room. I jerk off through most of my solo podcast. Yeah, yeah. It uh, it's the only way I can come is when I'm fomenting opinions about politics. Is fomenting the right word as a recap episode. Yeah, I don't know. So should we get right into it? Do you have any? How old were you when the Gulf War started? It was so 1991, been... January of 1991. Yeah, first and second grade. Yeah, I was in. Uh, I was just about ready to go to high school. I was. Uh, yeah, I was in first grade. So or actually, I, was... I think this would have. Yeah, this would have been my freshman year in high school. So I have memories of it because it was the first. I, I mean, as I found out researching this, it's definitely not the first American war that happened in my lifetime. But it's kind of the first one we were allowed to know about. Which we'll we'll get to that. I think on episode two, actually, this first episode, we're covering kind of what the government did to sell America on the idea of the first Gulf War. And on the next episode, we're covering the insane media response. Yeah. CNN and Fox News were in alignment at one point, if you can believe that. Yeah. Well, Fox News might not have been a thing yet. Yeah. I don't think Fox News. I think Fox News launched around 95, 96. This is probably why Fox News launched. Yeah, because they realized, oh, there's a fucking shitload of money to be made by propaganda and hysteria. Yeah, that's that's what I remember about this war. I was 14 when it happened. Or no, I would have been 13 going on 14. And nope, wrong again. I was 14 when this happened. You weren't 16 going on 17? What? Some Sound of Music reference. Oh, good. Yeah, I've never seen that movie. And I just remember, like, at 14, I was busy listening to Belle Biv DeVoe. Reference to the music man, not Sound of Music. Shame on me. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) I was, like, busy listening to Belle Biv DeVoe and having sex for the first time. So I don't remember much about the war in Iraq, except that it went by really fast. Kind of like the first time I had sex. Ah! (laughs) 
Man. That was all building up to that moment. Plus, Let's... your babysitter still got paid, so. Exactly. Nice. Yeah, I paid her to have sex with me. Oh, I thought your parents paid, but sure. No, my parents didn't pay babysitters. <laughs> So I just remember, I remember everyone being really on board with it. I don't remember a lot of dissent. And I just remember we went in and I remember all those visuals of Iraqi soldiers surrendering like they could not surrender fast enough. And we get into, in episode two, we get into why those surrender videos were happening. And it's actually pretty fucking horrific. Yeah. And my earliest memories are... All around the Super Bowl and how it, the coverage affected that. Not showing the halftime. Uh, you'll have to tune into BoneCon to hear those BoneCon. Yeah, the 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 first Gulf War led to one of the most patriotic Super Bowls of all time. And, Whitney Houston uh, crushing it. Whitney Houston sang the national anthem. Thank you, Saddam Hussein. We wouldn't have that without the first Gulf War. Later to be revealed that it was actually all uh, lip synced. I think she had a backing track, but she was also singing live, which I think in any environment like that, that's what any musician does. It's Christina Aguilera didn't, and she learned the hard way. The days of us getting angry over people lip syncing should be long, long gone by now. But curiously, they are not. Uh, So let's let's talk about the basic events as history remembers them when it comes to the first Gulf War. In July 1990, Iraq was just a couple of years removed from this long eight-year war with Iran. And it's super important to note, which I think history has made mention of, but we we sort of glossed over it, especially during the second Gulf War. We especially glossed over the fact that we supported Iraq and we supported Saddam Hussein. Yeah, they're our buds. During that conflict. Take this with money. Iran. Take these weapons. Yeah, we gave Take them this training. Billions of dollars in economic aid, technology and weapon sales, military intelligence and special operations training. Similar to Afghanistan. <laughs> Yeah, exa- it's exactly like Afghanistan. And we've always been adamant that we did not, that the U.S. did not directly supply arms to Iraq, but we did sell them non-U.S. origin weaponry and taught them how to use it. So when we say we didn't directly supply them with arms, we're basically using a loophole to absolve ourselves of any responsibility because we didn't sell them American weapons. And so we basically armed the army that we ended up fighting in Operation Desert Storm, which nothing suspicious about that. Nah. Seems perfectly normal. So having come out of this war and with a lot of his country's riches depleted, Saddam Hussein, at least according to the official explanation of events, just goes off the reservation and out of the blue decides to invade Kuwait, which that's how I've always remembered it, is uh, he, he invaded Kuwait for no goddamn reason. Kuwait is a country. A sovereign as a, nation. As a child, I'm like, oh, it's just some city. Yeah, no, it's it's an actual country. So on July 15th, 1990, he ordered Iraqi troops to the border of Kuwait. On August 2nd, those troops invaded The Kuwaiti royal family took refuge in Saudi Arabia. The United Nations condemned the invasion through UN Security Council Resolution 660. This kicked off the Operation Desert Shield half of things, which I don't know if people understand that distinction because you hear both a lot. Shield and storm. Operation Desert Shield was the buildup 
to this, to the eventual invasion, Operation Desert Storm, was the invasion. As if there was no shield. Right. What? Because Operation Desert Shield, they go up to the point and then storm, they cross the point as if there wasn't a shield. (laughs) I think that's probably why they named it that way. Once again, Adam, you did an excellent job choosing the co-host for the topic (laughs) of this pod. So we eventually sent a U.S.-led coalition of 670,000 troops to Iraq. That is a whole fucking lot. 425,000 of them were U.S. troops. And during our buildup of troops and resources in the area, we had given Saddam Hussein a January 15th deadline to leave Kuwait. And that part is super important. Super important. Later. Stick around. And what's important right now is that they didn't leave. So on January time, yeah. So on January sixteenth, we set some shit off over a thirty-eight day period. The coalition flew more than a hundred and ten thousand sorties against Iraq. Adam, what's a sortie? I was just going to ask if you knew what that was before we researched. This. I thought it was a typo, and you meant shorties. I'm like, they bombed them with a bunch of bombed them with a bunch of ass women, hot chicks. Yeah. <laughs> I always thought it was a bomb of some sort. I had never looked into what the phrase actually means. And it's just an attack made by troops coming out from a position of defense. It's basically just an attack. Another definition is an operational flight by a single military aircraft. But think about that fucking number. I did. 110,000 attacks over 38 days. That's right around 2,895 attacks per day. That's 120 attacks per hour. That is two, two attacks per minute. Per minute. And one attack every 30 seconds. Half that, of one every, half 15, of one every seconds. 15 seconds. So, see, I added the notes. Yeah. You told me to think about it. I broke down the math. On February 24th, the ground campaign began. It did not last long. Like your first time having sex. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Call back. By February 28th, the ceasefire was negotiated to end the war. Saddam Hussein was allowed to stay in power, thanks to fears that overthrowing him would destabilize the region, which I'll bring that up when I do the solo episode, but just to comment on it a little bit now, that is an insane notion, that leaving Saddam Hussein in power was the best thing for that region, because he is a mostly secular leader surrounded by very religious leaders. So getting him out of power would not have destabilized the region. It probably would have stabilized it a little bit. Do you think bit. if we got him out of power, that would change the course of the presidential election, not only with Bush potentially beating Clinton, but also potentially maybe Bush's son isn't like, I got to be president and finish what daddy couldn't do. It, Yeah. I mean, you never know. Like, those are all the questions we have to answer now. And I don't think there's really a way to answer it. It's just kind of... It's done. It happened. We fucked up. Fucked up. But we'll get to it. One thing I want to talk about, and you probably remember a lot of this also, when we invaded Iraq the second time, the second Gulf War, a lot of the discourse around that was... You're talking post 9-11? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How many other times? I was just making sure. (laughs) I was just confirming that I was on, on the same... No, the third time when we, we we invaded from Holland. Maybe there was a second time in the nineties that I was not aware of. <laughs> no, the the second Gulf War, the one that Bush Jr. kicked off. That a lot of the discourse around that was, well, George Bush Sr. He he launched the good war 
in Iraq. That was the war we needed to fight, and he fought it really responsibly. And now Bush Jr. is just going in and fucking things up. Also 9-11, even though they had nothing to do with it. Right, yeah. And I feel like I probably even made that argument at a few different points in life because I just didn't know that much about the first Gulf War. We didn't lose a lot of soldiers. It didn't take that long. So it just felt like a resounding military victory that wasn't that big of a problem. And also because of the media control we'll get into the next episode, it was very much like almost every, the vast majority of people in the United States, regardless of political party, were like, patriotism, like this is, get behind our troops. Yeah, well, we hadn't fought a a war this publicly and openly since Vietnam. And we didn't do well in Vietnam. And I I feel like a lot of what happened, and I'll get to this on the, the solo episode a little more too, but I feel like this was really just a big television commercial for the military. And an effort to try, I mean, obviously we wanted all that oil too, but I feel like this was sort of a big propaganda effort to excite people about the idea of joining the military again because vietnam was such a fucking quagmire we lost so so many troops in that war that now to have something like this where all the talk was about smart bombs and laser guided missiles and fewer civilian casualties and we only lost 125 troops and i feel like or 120 something troops and i feel like a lot of people saw that and were like okay, maybe the military is different now and maybe going to the military won't be such a nightmare like it was back when- They got all them shorties they dropping. Right? Dropping shorties. And I I feel like that was at least one of the aims of Operation Desert Storm was just a big publicity campaign for how awesome and cool the military is now and how it's not even that dangerous because we have all these advanced weapons and almost no one died. So- Everyone join the military yeah, again. You get paid. We'll pay for a college education. Yeah. And this, I think, is probably around the time when military recruitment at high schools probably really started becoming a thing. Like I had the light bulb moment this week. I'm sure other plenty of other people have had this thought well before me. Uh, like part of why tuition is so high, like part of why government won't relieve debt. Like if college was free, how negatively would that affect military recruitment? Oh, for sure. Yeah, it it would. Yeah, that's a good point. I haven't even thought about that. But that I could see that being like a secret opposition to free college. Like no one wants to say that. Yeah, if Sanders is in there free college. Like because really that's a bargaining chip to get people to join the military. It like, really is. I give this amount of time, I get paid, and you take care of me afterwards. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. Like people bring it up all the time, <laughs> but in a lot of areas of the country you know, mostly poor areas, the military's one of your only options for getting out of there. Sometimes you're just born into a situation or an area that the deck is hugely stacked against you. And your only option for getting out is being good at something like sports or going to the fucking military. And yeah, I could see that being an opposition to free college. Look at me dropping the dropping the now bombs. bombs. Now bomb. Now bomb. It's a now bomb. No, bomb. So yeah, the that I think was a really popular notion that this was the good war that we needed to fight and the the second Gulf War was the war crime. But the first Gulf War has all the same hallmarks as the second, especially the part where we told a whole bunch of lies to get 
into that WMDs, war. baby! If you can believe it. But for starters, just the basic premise of this war is insane. Because as late as 1988, we were still supporting Saddam Hussein. So in the span of two years, he went from dictator we trust to this supposed Hitler-type figure who was just hell-bent on creating a Middle East empire. It's kind of like being in a relationship with somebody for like seven or eight years, or you're married, and then you get divorced, and then they're just this terrible monster of a person. Well, what about the eight years right. that you they were the love of your life? Yeah. Like, there's, there's no way you could look at it objectively and believe that Saddam Hussein was the paragon of evil that we made him out to be. This person has all these weapons. Well, maybe you shouldn't have fucking been in yeah, bed maybe with him for years and gave them all the weapons. Given him those weapons, They got you know? him a divorce. So that, like, that alone is just such an insanely dramatic turn of events. And it was also a total fucking lie. I should, before we get into this part, I want to direct people to a really great article that covers a lot of the things we're about to talk about in way more detail. It's the aptly titled, The First Iraq War Was Also Sold to the Public Based on a Pack of Lies, on BillMoyers.com by Joshua Holland. Sometimes... Well, guest post. Sometimes big writers start their own websites and other people write on them. Deal with it, Missy! BM has a little GP. Bill Moyers has a guest post. Ah, there we go. So if you want to read more about this, check out that article. But it goes into a lot of detail about the various lies we told to make the first Gulf War happen. And we already talked about just the premise that Saddam Hussein in two years went from ally to borderline Hitler. It's also a lie. One of the things we used to sell this war was this idea that not only was Saddam Hussein invading Kuwait, but he was also building up troops on the border of Saudi Arabia. Lots of troops. 250,000. That's a whole fucking lot, along with 1,500 tanks. And George H.W. Bush cited this buildup as the reason for sending in troops, because it wasn't just like, yeah, we don't care about Kuwait that much, but Saudi Arabia, they're our biggest ally, so we obviously have to help them. And to give you an idea how fervent the support for this war was at the time, one reporter questioned this story. Out of all the fucking reporters covering it, one reporter, her name was Jean Heller of the St. Petersburg Times. Out of Florida? Out of Florida. No one's fucking reading that. Or Russia, maybe. Maybe yeah. it's Russia, but I doubt it. I think it's Florida. She managed to, pre-internet, obtain two satellite images from this exact area of the Saudi Arabian border where we claimed Iraq was building up all these troops. And she found nothing. Bunch of sand. Bunch of sand and desert. So she forwards an inquiry to everyone's favorite movie villain, Dick Cheney. And Dick Cheney's response basically is, trust us. Yeah, trust us. Yeah, trust us, eh? So Dick Cheney and Danny DeVito's The Penguin are essentially the same person in my mind. Oh, yeah, pretty much. Except The Penguin is a little less evil. Yeah. He's, I'd rather the Penguin be our vice president than had Dick Cheney do it for eight years. So yeah, this is, like, does that sound familiar at all? The second Gulf War, we got into it on claims that we had found 
all this evidence of weapons of mass destruction. And then we find out all these years later, no, we did not. That was all fake. Also, Dick Cheney is the person verifying this false shit each time. Right. So there's there's a pattern here. And what I like what I'm getting at is the notion that this was the good war. And no, it wasn't. It was as much of a fucking war crime as the second invasion of Iraq. It's like that show, The Good Wife. It has good in the title, but it's not good at all. Ah, oh, trigger warning, Adam. What are you <laughs> trying to do right now? Are you trying to get the network shut down? Uh, uh, that brought me great joy. My dog's trying to sleep. You're going to upset her with that opinion? Good Dog Wife butt. is great, and so is The Good Fight. But, so yeah, that that was... One of the lies that we told to get into the first war in Iraq. And the second was that Saddam Hussein was completely irrational, which kind of went hand in hand with Saddam Hussein is going to conquer the entire Middle East and set up an empire. We painted this invasion of Kuwait as a completely unexpected thing. And what it was in reality was a longstanding and complicated dispute between two oil states. Basically, Iraq played such a big role in preventing Iran from expanding and forming some sort of empire in the Middle East that they kind of felt like Kuwait should forgive their war debts, which that doesn't seem like an unreasonable thing. On a surface level, at least. I don't know the, under the specifics underneath, but yeah, why not? Yeah, I mean, Kuwait was playing the same role that we did, the United States did, in the Iran-Iraq conflict, in that they were providing support because Iran was such a threat to that region that no one wanted them to invade everyone and take over. And Iraq was the country that was like, all right, we'll fight them. And they did for eight fucking years. And they come out the other end of that and they asked Kuwait to forgive their war debts. And Kuwait said no. And Iraq also went to OPEC around this time and asked that OPEC cut crude oil production to raise prices. Yeah, we got to get some of this money back. Got to pay off our war debts, bro. Yeah, they were trying like they had been the forefront of the fight against Iran in the Middle East for eight solid years. They're broke. They come out of it like, hey, can we get just a little help from our friends who we just protected from this monster in the Middle East? And Kuwait especially is just like, no. When Iraq asked to have the crude oil production cut so prices could go up and they could make more money to repay their debts. OPEC said, fuck you, let's double it. It wasn't, but it wasn't OPEC. It was Kuwait who went to OPEC and was like, no, actually, let's double it. Let's start producing even more and bring prices down even more. And this was after years and years and years of Kuwait constantly producing oil above OPEC's quota. And there's one study that estimates that Kuwait's refusal to decrease oil production cost Iraq $14 billion per year from 1985 to 89. That's a lot of mustache wax. That is a lot of mustache wax. It's a lot of gold toilets. It's a lot of body doubles. Like you can afford a lot of things with $14 billion a year. And 85 to 89, that's in the heart of the Iran-Iraq war. So when Iraq needs the most help fighting off Iran for the benefit of their neighbors, their closest neighbor is actively trying to kind of break Iraq. Yeah, you're talking about $70 billion now. 
That's a lot of fucking that's, money. By today's standards, that's... By any standards, that's yeah. a ton of fucking money. And Saddam Hussein, I think rightly, saw this as an act of aggression. He went, Saddam insane. <laughs> <laughs> Puppy didn't like that joke. So he also, like, he saw this as an act of aggression, what they call financial warfare, which is what Maduro in Venezuela has been accusing the United States of for years, and I think he's right. So there was a lot of tension and financial politics that went into this decision to invade Kuwait. It was not a Saddam Hussein woke up one morning and decided to invade his neighbor situation. And we just had no fucking forewarning that it would happen. Like they had been arguing about this stuff for a long time. And the final straw <laughs> was that he accused Kuwait of using slant drilling to steal oil from an oil reserve that straddled the border between Iraq and Kuwait, which is the exact thing. Have you seen the movie There Will Be Blood? No. That's what happens in There Will Be Blood. There's a really famous scene where Daniel Day-Lewis is going, I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. And that's what he was talking about. He had been slant drilling this oil field that someone else thought they owned. And now it was completely worthless. So those are, those are even though they're not military, those are acts of aggression that are harming the people of Iraq. And Saddam Hussein had a responsibility to protect them to what distance is the slant how far away do you have to be to slant drill like was it like 100 meters three miles i don't know yeah i don't know because you would think if it was just like right on the border iraq would see it and be like ah <laughs> yeah why is, ah! Your, why is your uh tool sideways pointing at us so that was another one of the misconceptions around this war was that saddam hussein just up and decided to invade Kuwait for no reason, and we had a moral obligation to go in and help. When really, if anything, Kuwait probably had a moral obligation to stop manipulating the oil industry to the quit starving out your neighbors, bro. Yeah, yeah, they were. They were. I mean, the invasion of Kuwait was not a good thing. It was a very brutal thing that should not have happened. But it's also not the just unhinged act of a madman that people are making it out to be. And one of the other lies we told people around this time, the government told people to sell this war, was the idea that Saddam Hussein was unstoppable. There was nothing we could have possibly done to prevent him from invading Kuwait, which is probably the biggest lie of all. And it's the one that history has most focused on as being uh, clearly a misstep on the United States part. And it's such a huge part of what goes on to happen during the first Gulf War that it's crazy to me that it's not a bigger part of history. And what I'm referring to is there was a, and you can read about this in a New York Times article from 1990. Get the archives, baby. But there are a few different sources. But the 1990 New York Times article, it's called Confrontation in the Gulf. U.S. gave Iraq little reason not to mount Kuwait assault. And for all of our claiming that this was something we never had a chance of stopping, Saddam Hussein actually reached out 
to the United States before he invaded Kuwait. Put the feelers out there, dipped his feet in the water. Didn't just put the feelers out there. We met with Saddam Hussein on July 25th, 1990. He met with U.S. Ambassador April C. Glaspie. And the entire point of that meeting was he wanted to know how the United States would respond if he invaded Kuwait. Because in his mind, and I would argue he's right, he sort of had a reason to want to go in in a military way. But he didn't want the U.S. to come fuck him up. Right. So he meets with U.S. Ambassador April C. Glaspie, and she delivered a message directly from senior policymakers to Saddam Hussein that basically said this. The United States was concerned about Iraq's military buildup on its border with Kuwait, but did not intend to take sides in what it perceived as a no-win border dispute between Arab neighbors. So we met with him before this even happened. Yeah, we said, you do you, bro. Yeah, we were like, you know, we'd prefer if you not invade, but we're not going to do anything if you do. And... That's part of what plays into me thinking this is like our first TV commercial for war. Because we wanted this war. We wanted a reason. Easy to go in, kick some ass, get out, look good, build patriotism, build a rally the people behind the military. Yeah, and it make, made sense for it to be Iraq because we had just given them all these weapons. So they look like a formidable enemy. They look like it's not us going in and picking on, I don't know. I, I, fig I assume we didn't pick Afghanistan immediately because we knew we weren't going to win a war in Afghanistan. Soviet Union didn't, so we're not either, probably. But that meeting with the U.S. ambassador and the way we just kind of gave the wink and nod to him to let him invade Kuwait, we wanted this war to happen. Like, we wanted a, we wanted, I think we wanted a military victory. And it seems like that's what that, that whole thing was about. Yeah, I, I got nothing to add to that. <laughs> That's very well said. And so there's there's one more story that played into selling the first Gulf War. Do you like dead baby jokes? Are you a fan of dead babies? Because this is... If you're not, the war in Iraq <laughs> is the war for you. Because we're also against dead babies. Basically what happened on October 10th, 1990, a young girl who gave only her first name, Naira, testified that she had been a volunteer at Kuwait's Al-Adan Hospital and had seen Iraqi soldiers tearing babies out of incubators and leaving them to die on the cold floor. But they didn't kill the volunteers? They just put the babies on the cold floor and left? And then the volunteers were like... Baby's on the floor. What am I going to do about it? Yeah, that that does seem questionable, doesn't it? And this is a thing that spread all around the media. Like, I would assume, do a little role play here or a little imagining, that if Iraqi soldiers were to go in a hospital and kill babies, they would kill the babies. They would just, they would, they would, as awful as it is, like they would end the life quickly, right, and effectively, and not. Leave them to chance on the floor where perhaps they crawl into some mutant goo and, and then move into up, the sewer. And then grow splinter. up and seek revenge. Yes. That's that's not what you want. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't leave any baby witnesses if did I was... You, did you learn nothing from the puppy scene in Chernobyl? I won't spoil beyond that, but man, that is rough. Oh, I've only seen the first episode. Okay. I'll get it watched. So... Look at me staying on top of show. <laughs> 
So she gives this testimony in uh, front of the entire world. How did I not even put it in the notes? But it was in front of a UN Security Council. Yeah, how'd she thing. get that meeting? Oh, funny you should ask. But before we get to it, this so this story is what took America from all right, we don't give a shit about Kuwait. Like, why are we going to go in there? To okay, we definitely have to go in and invade Iraq. A rare example of Republicans giving a shit about babies after they're born. Oh yeah, I mean they'll they'll care when it's time to push a war, but other than that. So this was the story. It spread to every fucking media outlet. All the mainstream media outlets covered it. And remember, this is October 10th, 1990, so it's still a few months before we actually invade. And this story is making the rounds and just whipping America into a fucking frenzy. George Bush repeated the story on 10 separate occasions over the next few weeks. Advocates of the war, when they would appear on TV, would always bring up this dead baby story. And here's the problem. It was a lie. Uh, several Another war sold on a fucking lie? Can you believe it? Investigations by several human rights groups revealed the story was completely made up. And again, that's not meant to imply that the invasion of Kuwait was a good thing. It was a or that Iraqi soldiers didn't do shitty things. Right. They looted hospitals, but those hospitals were most likely evacuated before, for one thing. And there are there is absolutely no evidence that they ripped babies out of incubators and left them on the floor. Where that story came from, by the way, we didn't find out about this until 1992. Well, the war's over. After the war, we don't ended, need people to believe this shit anymore. There was a New York Times investigation that revealed that this story was a fake. The girl who testified was actually the daughter of Saud Nasir al Sabah. Kuwait's ambassador. You couldn't easily get away with that. And uh, oh, ambassador to the United States. I cut you off. Right. Ambassador to the <laughs> United States. But what were you going to say? With Facebook, you'd recognize that person. Somebody yeah. would be like, ah, I know that face. Yeah. I just, I, I wonder if, I kind of feel like in the early 90s, and I've, I, I need to do like a conspiracy theory episode about this, but I feel like the government knew that the internet was coming and did a few different things to kind of get ahead of it. And I sort of feel like this was one of them. Like, I feel like they knew with the rise of the internet, so much information was going to come out that would make recruiting for the military even harder. Yeah. So what if right on the eve of the internet becoming a thing, we launched this huge military, this resounding military victory where not a lot of people die and we kind of bolster support for the military before the internet comes along and fucks it all up. I think they did the same thing with conspiracy theorists. I honestly believe people like Alex Jones aren't necessarily working for the government, but I feel like they serve a purpose in that nowadays anyone who comes out with a theory that runs contrary to the official government story is a conspiracy theorist and a crazy person. And I think the government knew that the internet was going to kind of be a breeding ground for people to share information that might be damaging. So they put people like Alex Jones out there right away. They become really huge and people can go, oh, you're just one of those fucking if Alex Jones I were to Jones speculate types. on the conspiracy theory there, and I'm not saying this should happen and no way am I encouraging anyone to do this. 
But how is how has Alex Jones not been assassinated? If there is not something or some entity looking over him to make sure he goes on. I don't who would assassinate Alex Jones? A lot of fucking Sandy Hook. I mean, maybe the Freemasons, like what happened with William Cooper. Hey, that's a different... Oh, man. That's a whole different podcast. I'm a Freemason. But I think what we're talking about right now lends itself to this discussion because people are so quick still in, in light of all the evidence we've had for decades and decades and decades that our government sometimes gets up to some secret shit that's not in our best interest. Every time people are like... Whatever, conspiracy theorists. Well, how about the fact that how much more evidence do we need about fucking UFOs and aliens right now? I know. Over the last two years, it's like, ah, Trump's president. We don't have time to deal with this shit. Well, I mention this all the time, but think about what a conspiracy is. It's just two people, two or more people working together toward a secret goal. Like that is, we see it with police cover-ups of shootings. We see it with the reasons we launch wars. We see conspiracies all the fucking time. It no is, way isn't there's no way. No, this technology isn't reverse engineered from alien technology. And it's. I think it's just high time we get over using conspiracy as a derogatory term because conspiracies happen, and the less willing we are to accept that, the more the government gets away with. Yeah. And I think this is a great example. Like if we didn't have evidence of this. And Alex Jones just went on his website and was like, hey, that that girl, she was she's a crisis actor like she's not that didn't really happen to her. They hired a PR firm who decided to spin that story after doing focus groups. And that was the story they used to sell the war. We'd all be like, shut up, idiot. But that's what happened. This Citizens for a Free Kuwait was the group that organized this girl's testimony. They were a front for the Kuwaiti government. And they hired a New York-based PR firm called Hill & Knowlton that had previously worked with the fucking tobacco industry. Yeah, what bad could come out of this? Right. And the firm's president, Craig Fuller, you're not going to believe this, Chet. Are you sitting down? Sit down if you're not sitting down. I am sitting down on a new futon. Craig Fuller, George H.W. Bush's chief of staff when Bush was VP under No way those guys are connected. Yeah, I'm sure they had lost touch by this point. And it's just magic that uh, a friend of Bush was paid $10.7 million to devise a campaign to win American support for the war. They spent $1 million of that on focus groups who told them atrocities were the thing they should focus on. So they they, spend a million dollars to figure that out. I know that seems like a no brainer, but still you got the money to spend. You might as well spend it. So After they spend this money on this focus group and decide, well, we need an atrocity, they come up with this dead baby story and have the daughter of a Kuwaiti official give this fake testimony under a fake name, and they send that testimony to 700 American television stations. And that's the story that basically, because up to this point, they had been doing really basic like handing out leaflets and things on college campuses and trying to do like really grassroots things to get support for this war started and none of it worked. So they were like, well, we need a fake dead baby story. And this is the early on stuff of like some of the stuff John Oliver's highlighted of like all these news stations that are just sent the same stories and propaganda and reading the exact same script. Right. 
so yeah, that this is I, I think this is where we'll end this episode because we've uh it it makes a good segue into part two of this, which is about the media response to the first Gulf War, not just the response, but the coverage of it. And how it reshaped what news coverage would become. It really did. And it it also set some pretty horrifying precedents in terms of, well, not really, because it it more followed precedents that we set in two earlier conflicts in the 80s. And I think the the most surprising part about the media coverage that we'll get to on the next episode is despite this being such a television war, it was also the most highly censored war. The Gotta gov- make great television. The US government- good. And the military went to really great lengths to censor coverage of this war. And we'll talk about why on the next episode. We were going to save the dead babies for the next episode, but we, no, we got to close wait. strong. We couldn't wait. You got to close on the on the DBs. We'll also uh, probably talk about some Desert Storm trading cards on the next episode, because that's a thing. Unbelievable. And it's a thing that weirdly segues into what we'll be talking about next month on this podcast. But hey, that's so far down the road. You still got three more eps this month. So I think that's that's the first episode. That's the first of more to come that we're going to record today. So First of more that we're recording today. But you might have to wait. And the first of many episodes of this podcast to come. I promise next month we talk about something a little a little less intense. There are s- far fewer deaths in next month's topic. But We'll spill the beans at the end of the next episode. So much spillage. So much spillage. That's just your solo episode. What up, right? <laughs> <laughs> Adam, what do we got to plug? Are we still doing a 4th of July weekend show at my place? We are doing a show July 6th at Chet Wilde's place. That's a Saturday. Uh, look out for details about that very soon. And give this podcast good ratings and reviews on iTunes, please. Yes. We need that. And if you want to hear two bonus episodes of this podcast every Bone con. subscribe on the Patreon, patreon.com slash unpops, $5 a month. Check it out. And I think that's all I've got for right now. What do you have to plug, Chef? Just getting my yard ready, hosing the grass down every night, getting it be nice and green for you. I need it. Yeah, I want it to be pretty plush. I'm working on it. Cagney's okay. got a lot of urine spots in the yards. I'm trying to get him to pee in different spots. So. Oh, good, good, yeah. Uh, the brown spots from his his pee. I'll bring my dog. They'll fight. That will not end well for anybody. Probably not. Yeah, I don't. Winter think... Winter doesn't play nice. Cagney doesn't play nice. I don't think Winter would take kindly to another dog, especially not here. Yeah, she has to protect this studio. We're in the new studio. I'll bring Cagney sometime when Winter's not here. Cagney's not going to be able to get on that couch. Clawed up. Or you just don't think he can physically get on the couch? Yeah. Are you crazy? I don't know. Big dog. My dog could totally get on. My big, dog is a lap dog. Big chunky dog. He's just got a fat Chonky head. boy. Chonks. Chonky. All right. So let's get out of here. Say the 90s suck, Chet. No. The 90s, Say the 90s suck. The 90s were good, man. Oh, really? Because you support the first uh, Gulf War? Because all the pain money can buy? I don't know what that it's is. fastball album. We've been Who? over this. God damn it! Fast. I can't wait. Ball? Till next month. Goodbye, everybody. The 90s sucked. We love you. No, they're great. <laughs>